This is the second sermon in our series on questions that Jesus asked. Uh, the, the story that Barbara told so well is, is, the, is from the 20th chapter of John. It's a traditional reading for Easter. Um, and, you know, you didn't come today expecting an Easter text. Easter belongs in spring. Gosh, we're winding down summer, kind of, and um, the texts usually have to do with discipleship. So it's unexpected to deal with a text on Easter. It's out of place. Uh, it was unexpected for, for Mary, the things that she experienced that first Easter morning. Uh, you know, she, she thought the, the tomb would be sealed with a stone and she wouldn't be able to get in and anoint Jesus' body. That was unexpected that the stone was rolled away. It was unexpected to see those two people sitting in the tomb, one where the where their feet had been and one where the head had been. Um, when she saw the tomb was em empty, though, she made the expected response that, that we would make. She assumed the tomb is empty and that the body had been stolen. You know, if I, if I went out to my parents' grave and graves in Brookville, and I saw the tomb was empty, I wouldn't say, oh, Susan, they rose from the dead. You know, no, I would, I would expect that the bodies had been stolen, that the grave had been robbed. It is unexpected to expect uh, resurrection uh, at this tomb. So with that, that context of unexpectedness, uh, as our background, you know, we now look at the questions that Jesus asks. Um, Woman, why are you weeping? And for whom are you looking? You know, say what you want about Jesus. He had good grammar. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, no other reason to read the Bible that's got good grammar in it. Um, on the surface, these questions seem somewhat insensitive, obvious and kind of duh. I mean, she's standing there weeping. Why are you weeping? Well, they took his body. You know, who are you looking for? Jesus. Duh. On a deeper level, though, the questions and questions in our life, questions engage us. When we are asked questions, we, we get engaged in the topic. And when we ask questions, it shows that we are interested. Colleen talked about this last week. Yeah. Um, Ellie Vassell said that when he was growing up and when he was in school, that when he'd come home from school, his mother would ask him, what questions did you ask in class today? She didn't ask him what he learned. She didn't ask him what answers he had. She asked him what questions he, he asked of the teacher. And for her, that showed whether or not he was engaged in what he was studying and what the teacher was talking about. And it's often, you know, the questions that engage us, not so much the answers. And I think in our religious life, um, sometimes we get tired of people who have all the answers. 
and, and are giving us all the answers before we've ever asked any questions. They seem so certain that they kind of turn us off and shut us down. Um, for me, it, it, what's stimulating in the religious life are the questions that arise, you know, and I, I think of our children always asking those questions, you know, that kind of annoy us because we don't know the answers. But it's, it's a way of engaging uh, religion, and it's a way of engaging God and getting us engaged, and that's, that's what I, you know, was so good about godly play. It asks questions of the kids and gets them engaged. So, um, the two questions. Woman, why are you weeping? Well, she's lost. She's lost something. And she's looking for what she lost. And we weep when we lose something. This summer, um, Susan has been has altered her work schedule and she takes off Fridays and s goes out to Johnstown on Friday to, um, to look after our granddaughter Clementine who's a year and nine months. And um, Susan gets there about eight and leaves five or six uh, and you know feeds Clementine, changes her diaper, puts her down for a nap, plays with her, changes her diaper, feeds her, you know runs with her in the backyard collecting sticks and stones and so on. And I've gotten into the habit of, of driving out to Jamestown, leaving here about 4 o'clock, getting there about 4.30, and spending about an hour uh, with, with Clementine and Susan playing. playing. And um, this past Friday got to be about 5.30, and um, uh, Clementine's parents came home, and it was time for us to go. And uh, I looked at Clementine and I said, well, Clementine, it, it's been great playing with you, and, um, but we have to go home now. Bye-bye. And she looked at me and she just burst into tears <laughs> because she had lost her beloved grandfather. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's why we weep, because we've lost something. We've lost loved ones. You know? We've lost jobs. We've lost houses. We've lost pets. You know? And when we lose something, we are lost. We've lost our anchor. We've lost our foundation. We've lost what gives us meaning and gives us purpose. And sometimes when we are lost, we wonder, how can I continue? Why should I continue? When we, you know, talk about that, why are you weeping and what we've lost, the next question that Jesus asks become, becomes obvious. For whom are you looking? You know, you've, it's clear you've lost something. 
What have you lost? Now, it's interesting that Jesus um, doesn't ask, what are you looking for? In other questions, he does say, what are you looking for? But here, he doesn't say, what are you looking for? He says, whom are you looking for? It's a difference between what are you looking for and whom are you looking for. <coughs> I, I tend to think what I am looking for can often be replaced. I lost my keys. I lost my book. I lost my notes. I lost my calendar. I lost my notepad. I lost my iPad. It's a nuisance but it can be replaced. Who are you looking for is harder, you know. I lost my spouse. I lost my father. That's harder. And there's more grief involved. I lost my relationship. I was thinking about for whom am I looking? For whom am I looking? There are sometimes, um, sometimes I might just go to Kroger's and buy something so that I can swipe my Kroger card and have that voice say, Welcome, valued customer. <laughs> you know, so I can, so I can feel like I've got a foundation that at least Kroger loves me. Yeah. Went through a, a period a couple weeks ago where, in a day, you know, nobody returned my calls. Uh, voicemails went unanswered. I was called Mac. I was called pal. I was called, and this was my favorite, dude. <laughs> you know? And I thought, you know, what I'm looking for, who am I looking for, is somebody who will call me John, who will know me, who will understand me and not run away laughing. That's whom I'm looking for, that person that treats me as a human being and acknowledges my strengths and my weaknesses and knows me. In this story at the tomb, Jesus asks his questions, and they kind of plow the surface of vulnerability. They get Mary thinking and looking at her life and get her wondering, what am I, who am I looking for? She's ready when Jesus says, Mary. And she turns and says, Rabboni. She wanted to be called by her name. She wanted that relationship of someone who understood her, 
and someone who knew her. And she turns. It's a significant turning for her to turn from her grief to turn toward life. And that often happens to us when somebody calls us by name. It's like we've gotten this infusion of life and got this infusion of new energy. And it's unexpected when it happens. You know, oh, that person knew me. That person understood me. These questions create this vulnerability where the person can get under our skin and get into our heart and vice versa. When Jesus says, don't hold on to me, I think what he's saying is, you're not going to understand me or know me externally anymore. You're going to understand me in here. You're going to understand me in your heart. Because we've gotten under each other's skin. Questions do that. I, uh, in the course of my ministry, I, I uh, deal with people who are dying, minister to people who are dying. And once I went into a hospital room, and a person uh, said to me, well, I'm going to be moved to hospice tomorrow. Nothing creates an elephant in a room like a person saying, I'm going to be moved to hospice tomorrow. You look for questions that will change the topic and distract the person. How about those Buckeyes? <laughs> you know? And the question I asked her, it's one of those rare moments of lucidity, I said to her, what does going to hospice mean to you? That's a tough question. Because I don't know how she's going to react. And what she says is, you know, neither one of us could be ready for this conversation. But the ice is broken and the elephant is, has been uh, identified. And she said to me, I'm looking forward to seeing Jesus face to face. I've always wanted to see Jesus face to face. So how do I feel about going to hospice? I feel good. Wasn't the answer I expected. It wasn't the answer I expected, but boy, did it generate a great amount of conversation about hope, about finding life in an unexpected place in a hospital unit. It was life-giving. And I find that when we ask those tough questions, 
they're often life-giving. And we discover life. This story uh, from John begins with the angels at the tomb. Now, angel just means messenger. It doesn't mean heavenly being or anything. It just means messenger. You know, somebody given a message to deliver. Now, what's interesting about these angels at the tomb is I thought they talked about more than they do. These angels don't talk. They don't announce anything. They don't say the tomb is empty. They don't say he's resurrected. They don't say he's in Galilee. They ask a question, and this is all they say is, woman, why are you weeping? <laughs> that's, all, that's all these angels say is, Women, why, woman, why are you weeping? But their question starts to prepare her to let Jesus in. Jesus then at the end says to Mary, Mary, go to my brothers and sisters and tell them that I go to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God, and tell them of the good news. What Jesus does here is take Mary, who now has Jesus in her heart, and asks her to be an angel. Mary, will you be an angel and take this message of new life, unexpected life, of my presence in people's hearts, Will you take that message to others? And Mary does. And she's the first disciple to the resurrection. I think we can be angels. We can take the message of Jesus to other people. But we can also take the message of Jesus to other people, not by proclamation, but by our questions, by our listening and asking people questions. Well, what do you think about God? What do you think about Jesus? Tell me about the God you don't believe in. Tell me about the Jesus you have doubts on. These questions prepare people. And we can be an angel in that way. We can also prepare ourselves. Psalm 42 is a wonderful psalm. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you disquieted within me? We can ask ourselves questions that prepare the ground. You know, all of us have asked that question. Why are you cast down? Why, why are you disquieted? And the psalmist says, ask that question. Prepare yourself and hope in the Lord for the unexpected life that God gives us. May it be so.